The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Laura, thanks for joining us today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. We are excited to have you back, my friend. So how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Laura Frederick, and I am the founder and CEO of a company called How to Contract. And we offer practical contract training on how we draft and negotiate in the real world. So it's a different way of drafting and negotiating when you're talk- learning in law school or in an academic setting. But there's a way that people who actually work with contracts every day do things. And that's what I'm trying to teach with how to contract. Yes. And I appreciate the work that you do. It's so important because I don't think non-lawyers fully understand this reality that a lot of times when we are going through law school, it's very theoretical. And then we have to learn how to draft contracts, how to negotiate, like the real nitty gritty of lawyering. You learn learn that on the job. Um, And it's so it's important to have these types of opportunities to get real and practical advice that you could actually use. So that's really important. Thank you. Yeah, no. And I think so many of us learn that way. I remember as a new lawyer at a law school, I'd never looked at a contract when I graduated and I'm, you know, a new lawyer working in a law firm and they give me a contract. I'm like, okay, what do I do? And it took a long time. It's a different style of writing. It's a different way of communicating. And you have to kind of learn how to, it's almost like uh, learning a computer programming language. It's a just a particular style and you have to learn it. And it's not just because you graduated law school, you know the style. It, it's you actually have to put in the time and practice and have somebody coach you on it. Absolutely. And I want to give you kudos, too, because in a very short period of time, you have created a really robust and active audience. Uh, so listeners, check out Laura on LinkedIn. We're going to link to her profile in the description so you could follow her. And, you know, I've been to a lot of conferences, Laura. I've been to a lot of conferences and I've been to a lot of first time conferences. And let me tell you, <laughs> ContractsCon did not seem like a first time conference. So kudos for what you pulled off. That was really, really impressive. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was for I was so excited by it. I just didn't expect 
you know, I hoped it would be great. And I knew the people who are coming and I knew they're amazing and I knew the speakers were amazing. But to be able to see it in real life and experience that and the 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 camaraderie, the support, the just the whole vibe of it was just such a special event for me. Ditto, same. And let me tell you something. I I got particular joy. Um, so listeners, I, I, I spoke twice. I spoke um, Thursday morning and Friday morning. Friday morning, speaking from the stage, Laura was so entertaining <laughs> seeing uh, over a hundred lawyers after a second night in Miami <laughs> dragging themselves in in the morning. Oh my gosh. So funny to watch. So, oh. But they came. That's yeah. what matters. They still showed up. Yeah. No, that was why I had you first, because I was like, if anybody's going to engage them, it's going to be Kwame. So you you brought everybody up and with their cup of coffee and they were excited to be there. I appreciate it. No, that was fun. And and listeners, in this episode, we're going to talk about the um, the negotiation process, obviously, as it relates to contracts. But I I want to take a step back and, and give you an opportunity to explain your your Goldilocks theory of negotiation. I thought that was so fascinating. Yeah. So I use that analogy for how I learned to negotiate. And, you know, I started negotiating. I was thrown into the deep end. Nobody really trained me how to negotiate. I'd watch some other lawyers do it. But then I find myself on the phone, first phone call with the other side negotiating a contract provision. And they'd say something back to me. Most of the time, I had no clue what they were saying or whether I should say yes or no. And so, I would say, oh, uh, let me check on that. Um, and then they'd say something else. They'd say, oh, that's very interesting. Uh, I'll have to talk to my client. So, I went through this process and I call this the too soft. So, I was too soft. I wasn't engaging. I wasn't doing anything really in the negotiation other than almost being a note taker and trying to um, figure out what to say because I didn't have the skill set to really engage robustly with the counterparty. And then over time, I gained that knowledge. I became very aware. I became better at understanding what to negotiate in contract provisions. But then I started becoming kind of harsh and kind of uh, forward and abrupt. And, and I would really almost like get down deep in the mud and wrestle it out with people because I was right and I knew what the right answer was. And if they weren't agreeing with my correct answer, well, then I needed to use brute force to get them to agree to my right answer. And that was what was my negotiation goal. And that's when I think of that as the too hard. Uh, it was just too harsh. It was too in their face. Um, there really wasn't any of the delicacy that we need to have sometimes with negotiations. And then I finally got to this place where I was able to find a happier, kind of happy medium. And it was between soft and hard. So I would go into negotiations with an open mind, listening, engaging, hear what they had to say. I knew what I thought was the right answer, but I didn't necessarily hit them on the head with it. And we'd have this, you know, friendly dialogue about it. 
and recognize that my job often isn't to just get them to agree with me or even for me to agree with them. It was to find how close together we could get. And so I consider that my just right negotiating style. And it also reflected I'm by nature, nice and friendly. So if you meet me in the street, if you meet me at a party, I'm a nice and friendly person. So trying to be that hard didn't really work that well for me. So I feel like the just right was more authentic. And because I was more authentic, I think I was able to be much more effective um, in the negotiations. So that's kind of my Goldilocks theory of learning negotiations. I love this story because I think a lot of people can relate to that. I mean, I can too. When it, when you first start off there, you have to learn how to be a lawyer. You have to learn how to negotiate and those type of things. And you have to find your way. And a lot of times there's nobody really guiding you as to specifically how to negotiate. It's I think that's really surprising to a lot of people who don't know about law and also when they get into law school, um, because I don't know how it was in your school, but negotiation, conflict resolution, alternative dispute resolution, all of that stuff, those were electives. And in a lot of schools, they don't even exist. So you don't even need to take it. So most lawyers graduate without that skill set and you just kind of figure it out through years, decades of trial and error, which is, again, speaks to why it's so the work that you do is so important. And I really want to kind of focus in on this point, because when you were using the too hard approach, um, you knew what the right answer was, and you would try to kind of bully them there through brute force. And what's interesting was that you said it was too harsh, but you didn't talk about the outcomes. And so when you said it was too harsh, what led you to that conclusion? And then let's talk about the outcomes later. Yeah. So I think when I was too harsh, and this is something I've seen a lot of over my career, you know, since I've kind of figured out how to negotiate, which is the for me and when I see other people take that same harsh brute force approach, sometimes they're successful short term. And I was as well, you know, I can beat them down and make them agree with me and they might concede something just because it's so painful negotiating with me and they just want to move on. And unless it was like this issue that was everything to them, they might concede just to keep moving. Uh, But they're left with the distaste and the um, acrimony that comes with that kind of negotiation style. And I'm doing deals, negotiating deals that were for ongoing relationships. And so I could see sometimes the impact of these very hard fought negotiations and what happened after we signed. And that what would happen, because I was in-house counsel managing the commercial team supply chain sales. So I got to watch the relationship over time. And I noticed when those harsh renegotiations happen, the other side stays bitter. And that bitterness makes them be very harsh in the relationship. And any little thing happens, forget it. They're sending you a notice of default. Any favor you need, no way. They're not going to give it. So I might have officially got better terms by being harsh and using that brute force, but it definitely affects that relationship. And I def- I saw that all the time. And I learned, and that was kind of the wisdom that I gained over time, that 
being more cooperative doesn't mean I'm weak or I am, you know, letting my client down because we're agreeing to things, even though I know with brute force, I could get them to agree to my way. My client is better off when I get there with them in a, in a contract and under terms that we both believe in. Um, and do it in a very professional and courteous way. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And we will be right back after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. I love this because what we're recognizing is that there is value that we can claim in a variety of types of uh, different types of ways, right? Because if we think about value just in terms of favorable deal terms and money and things like that, then it might lead us to short-term thinking where we're just claiming as much value as we can at the table. But when you think about the overall relationship having value, that's when we realize, oh, okay, sometimes I need to turn down the intensity a little bit in order to have greater value over the course of the relationship as a whole. And it reminds me of um, Bob Wolf, who was the sports agent for uh, Larry Bird, if I'm remembering the story correctly. And one of the things he would say is, I intentionally leave 10% of the value that I know I could claim on the table. I know if I push hard, I can get it, but I'm not going to because I want to be somebody who people want to do deals with. So I can get more value over the lifetime by having a better relationship and going a little bit softer on the terms while still advocating for my client's needs, but giving a little bit more just to make sure that the relationship has value itself. 
And I had the, the a very similar story was I was working in one of the big companies that I worked at and the supply chain lead, one of the best ones I'd worked at, we were working together and he's like, well, I've calculated the, the supplier's um, profit margin and we need to raise the price a little bit more. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're supposed to squeeze them for every penny. And he came back and he said, well, then my supplier goes out of business. So it's in my best interest, even though I'm looking for good deals, looking for good margins, to make sure my suppliers have decent margins that keep them in business. So when I need them a year from now, when I need them five years from now, they're still there. And so that was a big part of how he structured it, which is, you know, really different from how a lot of procurement operations are run where you're squeezing every penny. And I get that because we're all tight budgets and all that, but it was um, really refreshing. And I think very enlightened the having that approach to things. Absolutely. And and now let's draw a distinction here between the too hard approach and the too soft approach. Cause I want to highlight something that I think could be interesting. Now, if you were to analyze the relationships that you created when you were too soft and compare it to the outcomes, tell us about that. Yeah, I think at least my sense and part of this may be because I was more junior, but I didn't feel the respect um, when I would deal with them in the future. I felt like I hadn't created a um, relationship that was founded on two equals. It was really, I was the note taker. I was the one, you know, going to fetch the answers from somebody else. And it really, and looking back, and I think I can see the elements of that, that it, it devalued me in that conversation and that relationship with the counterparty. And so that's where I think you have to, even if you have to bluff some in terms of your ability and you being the decision maker is to be an equal with whoever you're negotiating. Um, even if in reality, you know that behind the scenes, maybe you are going to check with people. It's better, at least in my mind, to come to negotiations as equal. And, you know, we each have different roles. We each have different groups behind us. But being that equal, I think, can help address that. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think we have to recognize that there are going to be certain times where Yes, being likable is important, but if it comes at the expense of the respect that you get from the other party, then it's it's not worth it. And it's a really difficult balance to, to keep in mind. But I think just being mindful of that tension is something that's valuable, too, because we have to be assertive and advocate for what we want. But we also know that there are benefits to being likable and having a good relationship. So we want to try to manage both and and flex as necessary in order to to have a good relationship but also get a good deal as well yeah and that's that's what makes negotiations so challenging is because you know why do i have to worry about all that stuff i just i have a contract provision i need this changed you know why are you talking about likability and tough you know but as you know and as i've learned those skills for negotiating, those that ability to juggle those kind of different competing interests and trying to find that balance is where, you know, the best deals c come from and where you can reach the best deals with your counterparty when you are focused both on the specific task at hand, but also how you're bringing that to fruition. 
Love it. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. And when you think about your approach to negotiations strategically, specifically contract negotiations, um, how would you describe your strategic approach to those conversations? Yeah, so I still come, you know, what I try to do is be as authentic as I can, because what I've found is when I try to adopt a persona that I think I'm supposed to be like, I'm supposed to sound smarter because I'm not the most formal speaker. I'm not, you know, the courtroom lawyer who every word that spills out of their mouth is perfect eloquence. You know, that's never been me. And so for years, I tried to sound that way. So now from a strategic negotiations, I focus in on really what do, how do I approach things as a in normal life, in regular life. Like I just am myself in negotiations. And what I find is doing it that way lets me focus on the content more because I'm less worried about, oh, how should I look? Oh, wait, that word choice I just used sounded weird. You know, oh, okay. They must think this. I get preoccupied in my head trying to negotiate how I think I'm supposed to negotiate. And instead, what I really come back to is, what's my strategic goal? What do I need to accomplish? How can I communicate and read their um, communication needs and see where they're coming from and kind of feel out what I need, what the other side needs, and how does that fit into this overall strategic goal? And so, staying very nimble and less you know, I used to be much more focused on outcome specific. I need this provision to say this. And now I look at it much more holistically. You know, this is the big deal. This is the big relationship we're creating. I, my initial vision is it'll look like X. As we negotiate, I see it's turning into Y. And I keep that Y could still really work and could be great. And just let let it kind of create its own, uh, let it develop as it does naturally, because I'm not in control. I only can do my side. And ultimately, it takes two people to come up with this deal. So, I think in my strategic deals, I'm more free-flowing to find solutions that work for both than I was before, where it was more like, here's my map, let's follow that. This is so good. I'm taking so many notes. <laughs> this is great. So essentially, when you talk about your strategic approach, it's rooted in authenticity. And you like to be more nimble and have a holistic approach to the overall deal. So not just the specific narrow contract terms, but also thinking about what does our relationship look like going forward, because there's value in the relationship itself. And I think what's really interesting is that being more flexible came about, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, it sounds like your willingness to be more flexible and free-flowing and nimble in the moment came about with higher levels of confidence in your skill. Definitely. And higher, I think, better understanding of the contract provisions. And that's, for me, part of my mission of helping people learn contracts is the confidence piece. Because when you don't know what you're talking about and you're not a master of your subject, it's very hard to be confident in that negotiation because you're really having to invest a lot of time kind of faking it 
um, pretending to be confident and pretending to know what you're talking about when you don't. And believe me, I am uh, uh, did this a lot, so I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but as I became better at contracts and really understood the provisions and understood the risk associated with different changes to the language, then I was much better at communicating options and following this kind of free form discussion to find a solution that worked for both as opposed to the choices A or B, which ones are going to be. And now it's like, well, A and B aren't really working. So maybe C or maybe X or maybe Q, you know, let's go figure it out together. What could work, which if you know the underlying subject matter here, kind of the contract concepts, there's a lot more confidence to be able to pursue those alternative options. Yes. And this is great because you because you have more confidence, because you understand more then you can flow better in the moment because and again, extrapolation. Tell me if I'm off on this. It sounds like now that you have a better understanding of the contract provisions and you have more experience, you understand the, the upper and lower bounds of what is possible. You recognize that. Whereas at the beginning of your career, you said, I need to have a very specific roadmap for what it takes to be successful in this negotiation. But now that you have more experience, you can say, there are a multitude of pathways for me to meet my needs through this conversation. I'm going to go in with some ideas, but I'm going to be open and willing to hear what the other person says so we can figure out what a path forward could be like that works for you and works for me. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that's the best negotiators, and I've been around a lot of great negotiators in my uh, career, and definitely the ones who have a more free-form path to reaching agreement and who are open to random ideas that could solve both parties' problems, you know, tend to be the ones who get the best deals and also earn the respect and don't have the bitterness and all of those things that were, you know, tying back to my Goldilocks uh, analogy is ultimately we want to be in that place where we're negotiating, you know, with that open mindedness and that problem solving together. Um, and doing that is is so much more effective than any other way of negotiating, at least in my experience. Yes, uh, this is this is great. So let me do a, a call back to the conversation we had before we started like recording. So listeners, I was telling um, Laura about the the online course that we're creating within the platform called Negotiable, the um, essential elements of negotiation. And I was telling Laura about how there are some really interesting commonalities between what people say, even if we might use different terms in the podcast, they're commonalities. Everybody says these type of things in different ways. And so one of the elements, and nobody's used this term, but this is the term we came up with, is fluidity. The great, the best negotiators are able to flow. They're able to recognize what it is that I want to accomplish and recognize there are various pathways for me to get there. And in the moment, as they empathize with the other side, understand where they're coming from and get a better understanding of the situation as a, as a whole, they're willing to flow and fluidly adapt to the changing circumstances while still meeting their goals. So this is great validation on this because I just made that uh, the script for that video this morning and I was, <laughs> this, is, this makes me feel more confident in it. So I appreciate that. <laughs> No, and I I do see that. I think that fluidity is such a great word for it. Um, 
it really describes that it's a it's a nimbleness it's a you know flexibility it's i i love that uh concept this is great i appreciate that now i feel good i feel the warm and fuzzies <laughs> And now back to focusing on Laura, something else that you said that I, I want to home in on is authenticity. What you said was that authenticity allows you to focus more on the content and, and what you actually want to say. And I think this is something that people really need to, to appreciate because um, I think there are some like moral and um, ethical or I don't know, there's some like there's a value judgment that we put on authenticity. It is a good thing to be authentic. OK, yes, we can say that. But also, let's not forget <laughs> the fact that there is a strategic value to being authentic. And so when you think about the reality of cognitive load, we there there's a lot that's going through our mind during these conversations. First of all, we're probably feeling some element of stress or pressure because it's a conversation with high stakes. Um, there are several contract terms that we need to, to, to go over. I need to keep your needs, my needs, and the needs of my client in mind uh, throughout this interaction. Each thing that we're thinking about adds to the cognitive load and makes us less nimble in the moment and makes it more difficult for us to consider alternatives. And so by simply being yourself, you take something off your shoulders. I don't need to figure out what Kwame the lawyer sounds like. I'm just Kwame. And this is how I talk. <laughs> right. And so Absolutely. it helps you to be better. And I think it just also because that we're so prone to just focusing in on ourselves. What does everybody think about me? Does everybody think I just sounded stupid? What? Wait. Oh, <laughs> I, you know, just everything. We're in our heads so much and it's so hard to let go of that. And if you just kind of accept your authentic self, you automatically get past that. You know, it's a free pass out of your head because whatever you sound like, whatever, you know, verbal missteps you make, whatever awkward phrasing you use, whatever stupid point you ramble on about, like, it doesn't matter because you're just being you. And the other thing is it just draws the other person in, I find, because then there's trust, then they can see you're being an authentic self. Um, and people can tell. And it just takes away this element of who is she really? What is her agenda? There's something behind her that's going on. But even, you know, I'll negotiate and I'm had in my experience, I negotiate billion dollar deals and I'm still just me. And if anything, I'm even more me when I do the billion dollar deals because we're really focused on important stuff and every word matters when you get to that level. And for me to worry about anything other than what we're trying to do together and this contract is a distraction and it actually, you know, hurts my client because it's making me less effective and able to do that flow and fluidity to find the solution. I love this. Oh, Laura, you know, I could talk to you forever. This is great. <laughs> this is great. But before you go, I want to give you an opportunity to shout out your podcast. This is exciting. Yes. Well, Kwame, you are a big part of that because I've been thinking about it for a while. And when we were talking at ContractsCon, you're like, Laura, you got to do it. And I knew I did. And it was it just, I think, helped me say and figure out what it would be. So the new podcast is called You Can Contract. 
And the focus is going to be on all the different journeys people have to learn about contracts. Because just like learning how to negotiate, there's so many different ways that people come to it. There's people who learn in school from a mentor. There's people who figure it out on their own. And I think a lot of us worry that the way we learned isn't the right way. But the thing is, there's no one right way. There's lots of different ways. And so I want to tell the stories of people that I respect, people who are really successful in what they're doing and how they reach that place in the journey to learn how to negotiate, what things were great, what things weren't great, who influenced them, what advice do they have for people earlier in their contract training journey. Uh, So I'm super excited about it. Yes, and we are excited to share and promote. We appreciate you coming on the show. And listeners, there will be a link in the description to everything that we discussed today in this episode. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was wonderful as always. Thank you. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.